Genesis chapter 44. Read a couple of verses and then I'm going to back up to chapter 42. Make my way to chapter 44. Long introduction, but I'll not make it a long sermon. But Genesis 44 and verse 1. And he, that is Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, that would be Benjamin, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. I want to preach tonight on that silver cup. Silver cup. I, I'm taking you toward the end of the story. And so I want to take a brief moment and I want to give you a very quick summary of what has transpired to get us to Genesis chapter 44. Joseph, as you know, was the favorite son of his father Jacob. That favoritism had bred envy between him and his brothers. And in their hatred of him, they had waited for the right opportunity and they sold him to a band of Midianites who then sold him as a slave to Potiphar in Egypt. While he's there, Joseph is seduced by Potiphar's wife. He refused to commit that sin. He was promptly thrown in prison when she falsely accused him of him trying to take her. But after two years in prison, he's brought out to interpret a dream for the Pharaoh. And in the providence of God, Joseph is promoted to the prominent position of second in command, second prime minister of Egypt, second command to Pharaoh. And as Pharaoh dreamed and as Joseph had interpreted, there would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Joseph was placed in charge of agriculture. It is his job to store the grain for the seven years so that they would have something to eat for the seven lean years and the famine hit Egypt, but it also hit Canaan. And among the affected families is Joseph's family, his family of his father and his brothers. And they hear about the food that is available in, in Egypt, and they really had no choice but to go there and buy grain or else they're going to die. And so finally, Jacob allows 10 of his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain. He does not allow Benjamin to go. That is very significant. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into the country. 20 years have passed. He's now 37, 38 years old. And the brothers have been off of the scene for that, that entire time. And the last time that they had been mentioned in the story, they were mentioned as, as treacherous men abusing Joseph. And though they were guilty of a gross sin, they had never had to face the consequences for that sin. But, but God had not forgotten it. And in chapter 42, 43, and verse 44, these brothers are going to meet Joseph again. They're not knowing who he is, though they, he will recognize them. And we're going to see in these chapters how that God begins a process of bringing these brothers to a point of repentance. Reconciliation is the goal. Reconciliation is impossible without repentance. So when you back up to Genesis chapter 42, the brothers go to Egypt, they meet Joseph, they tell him their story. Joseph recognizes them, they don't know who he is. And in that chapter, he accuses them of being spies. He finds out that they have one more brother that has been left home, and he tells them that they're gonna to have to go back home and get that brother, bring him to Egypt in order to prove that they are not spies. 
And as collateral, he's going to keep one of them in prison. Simeon is chosen. And his security will only be guaranteed by them coming back with Benjamin. And in all of that, we see the beginnings of God dealing with them. And he deals with you and I in the same way. And God is going to begin through Joseph the long process of bringing them face to face with a sin that they've committed 20 years prior. The goal is reconciliation, no reconciliation without repentance. And so God begins taking them down the road to repentance. In chapter 42, there are four steps that, that are used to get them to the point if you want to just write it down just by way of introduction. And I, I am going somewhere, so, so please stay with me tonight. But the first thing that God uses in their life is calamity. The chapter opens with a very severe famine and when we read famine, we read natural disaster, but don't miss that God caused the famine. These brothers are suffering and the rest of the world because God has brought something into their life to make them uncomfortable. If there had been no famine, they'd have never gone to Egypt. If they'd have never gone to Egypt, they'd have never faced Joseph. If they'd have never faced Joseph, they'd have never faced their sin. So instead of just a natural disaster, I see God putting something in their life that stirs them out of their comfort and makes them uncomfortable. And what God has done is he has brought a need into their life so that he could reveal to them a greater need. The greatest need that they had was not food. The greatest need that they had was forgiveness and reconciliation. And then they're going about to take care of the lesser need. They're going to come to realize the greater need. God puts something in their life to make them uncomfortable, to wake them up to the realization of their sin. By the way, I'm glad that God does that with you and I. He does not just leave us in our sin. Oftentimes a person is lying in a hospital bed with some sickness and it is there that he begins to reflect on his life and his running away from God. We don't always put a lot of stock in deathbed or hospital bed confessions, but God has used a lot of hospital beds to bring somebody back to him. He brings a need into their life to reveal a greater need. A marriage may be falling apart, but the bigger problem may be a spiritual life that is falling apart. A man may find that everything that he touches turns to coal and instead of gold and he can't pull it together. And it could be God telling him that there is a greater problem here. And oftentimes we look at the problem or we look at the emotional stress of a person and we say, boy, that's the problem. That might not be the problem. That might be God. There are greater needs than felt needs. And it doesn't mean that if you have trouble, then there's sin in your life, but it ought to at least make you think, is there sin in my life? Lord, are you trying to tell me something? So God uses calamity. But then the second thing that God uses in that chapter is confrontation. Now you've got to go back and read the chapter. I don't have time to do that tonight. But when these brothers stand before Joseph for the first time and Joseph hears their story, here's what the Bible says, that Joseph spake to them roughly and three times he accused them of being spies. Now, now why does he accuse them of being spies? Well, I think it could be because that's probably what they accused him of being years prior. Now, I can't prove this from the Bible, but it seems very plausible. And if you flip back quickly to chapter 37, where the story first begins, 
And in verse number 30, verse, verse number 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Billah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. And it could be that they were envious of Joseph because um, they saw him as their father's spy. And now he is accusing them of being spies and it's coming full circle. He could be making the same accusation that they made against him and, and God uses that to prick their conscience. In fact, go to chapter 42 and look at verse number 21. Verse 21, this is after the three days of jail. In verse 21, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. Yeah. Now, 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 they don't know who Joseph is right now. And Joseph has not said one word to them about what they had done to, to him. So why are they now bringing this up? Yeah. What does this have to do with anything that's going on now with them trying to get grain? Something has pricked their conscience. Something is waking them up. And before a man will ever repent of anything, he has to be confronted with his sin. Sometimes it's with harsh words. Sometimes it's with preaching. Sometimes it's with a strong rebuke. But we must be confronted with our sins. Three times in this story, Joseph accuses them of spies. Here's the truth of the matter is, they weren't spies. They weren't spies at all. No, the truth of the matter is, is they were worse than spies. They were treacherous, murderous men. And, and, and the truth about you and I is that we're probably worse than anybody else has ever discovered. And as long as there is a figment of self-justification, you'll never come to the altar of repentance. So God uses calamity in their life and then there is confrontation and then in chapter 42 there is confinement. Joseph tells them that you've got to leave your younger brother to prove that you're not spies and, and then he has them locked up in jail for three days to think about it. Now when you are sitting in jail, you've got a lot of time to think. And we get an idea of what they were thinking because of what they said when they got out. Again, 42, 21, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. We would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, spake I not unto you saying, do not sin against the child and you would not hear. Therefore behold also his blood is required. They came out of three days of solitude with their conscience grieved, and for the first time in 20 years, their guilty memory has caused them to make an open confession of sin. Why, after all of these years of living with this sin, does their conscience begin to melt? Now, I'll tell you why. Discomfort, strong words of rebuke, isolation to think about their sin. I think that in this hurry up, hustle, bustle world that we live in, that we don't have time to just hear God anymore. The frantic pace of life and the 
constant din of noise and I've always got to have a headphone or, or iPod. I've got to always have something playing and we can't think too deeply. Maybe sometimes we need to turn off all of the noise and just sit in silence and see if we can hear the voice of God any longer. God's bringing them along. This is first steps. There's, there's calamity. He brings a need into the life and there is confrontation. You be spies and there is confinement. You sit for three days and you think about it. But then there is compassion. Because when Joseph sends these men back, holding Simeon back, he has the steward put their money back into their sack. He did acts of kindness for them and they didn't know it. If you had asked them at that point, what do you think about Joseph? They would have said, he's a severe man. He's a harsh man. But in fact, he's a whole lot more gracious than what they even realized. And when you look at chapter 42 and verse 28, he said unto his brethren, when they, when they find this money on their way back, he said unto his brethren, my money is restored. Lo, it is even in my sack. Watch this. And their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God hath done unto us? It is the first time in the story that any of the brothers ever mention God. They have acknowledged their sin. They have expressed remorse. And for the first time, they realize that God is active in their life. Now, Joseph tells them that they can all go back with grain, but one of them has to stay. And they have to return with the missing brother, Benjamin, in order to prove that they're not spies. And the situation that they are forced into to leave one brother behind in prison while they walk away with food. And part of the test is to see that what they did 20 years earlier, will you do the same thing again? Will you leave your brother to rot in prison like you left your brother to rot in a pit? Will you have enough concern for your brother now that you will return with Benjamin so that this brother, Simeon, can be released? You left one brother before to die in a pit. Will you do it again? So finally the brothers come home to Jacob and when they get home, they tell the entire story to their father especially a part about Simeon being held back and Benjamin has to go and Jacob is not pleased. Look, if you would, in verse number 36, Jacob, their father, said unto them, me have ye bereaved of my children. Jacob knew in the back of his mind something wasn't right 20 years ago. He says, me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not. And Simon is not. And you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. I've lost one son. Now I've lost another. If you go back, you will surely be accused as thieves because of the money in your sack. And if Benjamin goes, there is no guarantee that I will ever see him again. And again, it's interesting to me how things keep coming back full circle in this story. Because a long time ago, he had sent his sons away on business. And when they returned, one brother's missing. And they got extra money from selling Joseph. Now he sends his sons away on business. And when they come back, one son is missing. And there's extra money in their sack. And it keeps coming back full circle. 
Now, now Reuben is the oldest. Reuben is the oldest, and, and he wants to prove himself. So, so Reuben takes a leadership position. Look in verse number 37. Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. Now, now why does Reuben speak up? Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blowing through this, but, but you got to get this. Reuben was the firstborn. As the firstborn, he has the right of the inheritance. It means that Reuben is going to be the leader of the family, the family patriarch. He's going to receive a double portion of the inheritance. One problem, Reuben had committed a horrible sin by lying with his father's wife, Billah. And because of that, 2 Chronicles, or 1 Chronicles tells us that, that, that Jacob had taken the birthright from Reuben and had given it to Joseph. Joseph was in the place of the firstborn. But, but with Joseph out of the picture now, Reuben has a chance of securing that birthright again and he wants to prove himself as, as a champion and, he, and he's desperate. He's desperate to, to prove his leadership and, and, and so here's what he promises that, that I will bring Benjamin back, watch this, on the life of my two sons. Well, that has to be one of the dumbest pledges in the Bible. He's willing to sacrifice anything to prove himself worthy except the truth. There is only one thing that is going to fix this mess. It is the truth. Right. And nobody's telling the truth yet. And Reuben is not about to come clean. He's trying to position himself to get that birthright back. Well, after some time, the, the famine gets more severe. Famine runs out of food. They have to go back to Egypt or they are going to literally starve to death. And Jacob refuses to let Benjamin go. So it's going to be Judah, the fourth oldest son. Judah that finally stands before the father and says, you have to let him go. And I want you to see a contrast. Reuben, my sons will be surety. Look in chapter 43 and verse 9. This is Judah. Judah says, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. Reuben offers his two sons a surety on the life of my two sons. Judah says, on my life, I'll bring him back. And I believe that this is a very pivotal point in the life of Judah. What is Judah's great sin? Judah's great sin, Genesis 38, where he committed incest with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, I've got a message that I preach from that chapter. But when Judah was confronted with his sin, the Bible says that he acknowledged his sin and he knew her again no more. Right. Now I believe that Judah realized that he had done wrong. He'd been found out. He tried to make amends as best as he could. And now Judah knew that Reuben is not going to receive the birthright. Simeon and Levi, they're not going to get it because of the massacre in Shechem. He knows that, that, that Reuben is out. He knows that Simeon and Levi out. He is the fourth in line. With Reuben disqualified, with Simeon and Levi out of the picture, Joseph is nowhere around. He stands the most to gain. So when he said that if I don't make this right and if I don't bring him back, I bear all the blame. Do you know what he's sacrificing? His ambition to be the head of the family, to have the right of the firstborn. 
Reuben will sacrifice his sons. Judah is sacrificing himself. The brothers make their way back to Egypt. Treated very kindly. Chapter 43, chapter 43. Treated, treated very kindly by Joseph. They are brought into Joseph's private home. They, they share a meal with him. Simeon is released to them. They're given as much grain as they can possibly carry. And, and they're not even able to pay for it. And Joseph doesn't reveal himself to them yet. There's, there's no repentance yet. But, but you're going to see change tarts, especially the change tart of Judah. And it is in this second encounter that, that Judah is going to come clean. And I, I believe that the brothers are all on board with what Judah is going to say. And the ugly sins of the past are going to be laid bare and only thin will Joseph reveal himself to them. And it's when we look back at all of these events and we see how God orchestrated the circumstances to get them to a point of repentance. And you and I must understand that God is gracious to do the same thing for you and I. He places circumstances in our life and he's trying to get our attention. He works deep conviction which works contrition, which works conformity to his will. And I want you to watch for just a moment in chapter 44. I want you to watch Judah very closely. And I want you to see how God brings this man to a point of true repentance. And he uses a silver cup in order to do that. Genesis chapter 44. And I want you to notice first of all in this chapter how that his self-confidence is shattered. Look at verse number one. I'm going to read several verses. He commanded the steward of the house saying, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry. Put every man's money in his sack's mouth and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away there on their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have we rewarded evil for good? Is not this in which thy, my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done it in evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these words. They said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy service should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. The brothers have come back with, with a lot of trepidation. And they've even brought back the money that was found in their sacks just in case that came up. That they're ready to return that money and the steward even says, no, no, don't worry about it. So this whole scene transpires. They get the grain. The money's not brought up. Simeon is released. And they're all headed out of the way, out of Egypt, and they're headed home. And it looks like the things could not have gone better. They've not been arrested. They have eaten in the house of the prime minister. We've got grain. We have Simeon. We have Benjamin. And Judah especially has to be feeling relief because he has pledged his life that I will bring Benjamin so you can imagine, these brothers are feeling pretty smug. They're, they're feeling pretty confident. But that self-confidence is about to be struck a huge blow. Because they're way on, they're on the way out of Egypt and the steward overtakes them. Maybe he has some Egyptian police with them. And he says, my master is missing his silver cup. 
We believe that one of you stole his silver cup. After all of the kindness that he's shown to you and your reward good for evil, this is how you treat him. They're indignant. Well, we didn't steal the silver cup. We, we've not stolen any cup at all. How, how, how dare that you suggest that? In fact, in fact, we brought back the money thinking that you, that you thinking that we had stolen it. If we were thieves, we wouldn't have brought that back. And in the height of their self-confidence, here's what they say. Search the sacks. And if you find the silver cup in any of our sacks, then let that brother die and the rest of us will be your slaves. Now that's a little bit extreme for sealing a silver cup. So the steward says, no, here's what we'll do. We'll search the sacks and if we find it, and whoever's bag it is, that man becomes our servant. And so the steward begins opening sacks and he begins from the oldest to the youngest. And as every sack is opened and no silver cup is found, self-confidence just builds. And they're probably getting ready to demand an apology when the steward goes to the last sack and that is Benjamin's. Well, they know Benjamin has not stolen the cup. The steward opens that bag. Aha! I, I knew one of you had taken. Here it is. My master's silver cup that you have stolen. And in verse number 13, then they rent their clothes and bided every man, laid at every man his ass and returned to the city. They rent their clothes. The last time that you read that phrase in the story of Joseph was in chapter 37 when Jacob rent his clothes when they came and told him that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. It's despair. It is hopelessness. It is a load that is too heavy. And now these brothers are going to feel the same despair and hopelessness that they had caused their father all those years ago. In fact, they had caused their father grief over the news of a younger brother. And now they're going to feel grief over the news of a younger brother. And I want you to watch the scene. The steward has them arrested. They're escorted back to Egypt. They now have to stand before Joseph being accused of being thieves. And they have to answer for that silver cup. They have no idea how it got there. We have no answers. We have no excuses. But the first time that we left, we left with money in our sack. The second time that we left, we left with a stolen silver cup. Do you begin to see a pattern? Now imagine what their conversation was on their way back to Egypt. I'm sure some of the brothers started blaming Benjamin. Uh huh. Found in your sack, you are going to bear the blunt brunt of this. Benjamin is saying, I didn't steal any cup. And, and what about Judah? Because the steward said that the man in whose sack the cup is found, that man is going to stay behind as a servant. And, and if that happens and all the rest of them are released, how does Judah go back to his father without Benjamin? Here's the test. They stand before Joseph. And Joseph says, the man in whose hand the cup was found, he will be my servant. I'm not going to punish all of you for one man's sin. All of you can return home, and this one brother, Benjamin, is going to stay as my servant. Do you know what these men would have done 22 years ago? Yeah. They would have said, that's a deal, and we're out of here. 
Benjamin is now the favorite son of their father. So if there is any envy that is left over, it would be directed toward Benjamin. They have sold one brother into slavery. So abandoning another brother to slavery is a light thing for them. Self-interest says, yep, Benjamin's the thief. He deserves what he gets. And I'm going back home while he pays for a crime he did not do. And would you notice how that they are essentially in the same situation they were in 22 years ago. Joseph had come to them and their father had trusted him. But they betrayed him for no crime that he had done and they knew that he had not done anything wrong. But they deserted him, they sold him into slavery and they walked away to enjoy their life at his expense and then they had gone home to break their father's heart over the lie. And now they have opportunity to do it again. Your father entrusted you with the safety of Benjamin and now you can desert him, you can leave him to bear the penalty of a sin that he has not done, a crime he has not trusted, not committed, but you can go back home and you can enjoy Enjoy your life while he suffers for him and you can break the heart of your father again. The question is, what will you do now? What Joseph is doing, what God is doing is he is shattering their self-confidence. The guilt of their past sins have already come up before them. But maybe we don't have to deal with it. It looks like we're going to get out of Egypt. It looks like that we've gotten scot-free. Surely those old sins are, are forgotten by now. But that silver cup, it is going to force the issue. You know that sometimes God puts something in your life to force the issue. Because you know that deep down in your heart that you're not right. But you have escaped judgment for so long that you've grown smug and self-confidence. And God has a way of putting in justice false accusations, some circumstance in your life to shatter self-confidence. There's a second thing that happens in this chapter. Not only is self-confidence shattered, here's the second thing. Self-condemnation is secured. Look at verse 13 in your Bible. Look at it. Then they rent their clothes and laid it every man his ass and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? Watch this. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are thy Lord, my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, Judah said, God forbid that I should do so. For the man in whose hand the cup is found, he should be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Now, now something very instructive takes place. Stay right here. They're standing before Joseph. They are, they are accused of being thieves. The evidence is against them. They have, they have no excuses. Judah's Judas, Judas, a spokesperson. And I want you to notice how he confesses instead of protesting his innocence. So what are we going to say? What do I speak? How, 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 do, how do we clear ourselves? Here's what he says. He says, God hath found out, watch this, the iniquity of thy servant. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They didn't steal the cup. It wasn't an iniquity. But that's what he says. 
God has found out the iniquity of, do you understand? He's not talking about the silver cup. God has found out the iniquity of the, no, there's no iniquity in the silver cup. Judy is saying, sir, God is punishing us for something that we did a long time ago. We may be innocent in this incident, but we are not innocent men. We have been running from something from God for 20 years, and God has found us out, and we have ran out of places to run. So verse 17, Joseph says, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he should be my servant. As for you, get you every piece unto your father. As Joseph listens to Judah, he can probably hear Judah from 20 years earlier. It was Judah who had suggested that they sell their brother into slavery. And as Joseph sat in that pit, he heard every word of it. And now he says, no. He says, you go home free. And Benjamin will stay behind as a servant. You took that deal 20 years ago. Let's see if you'll take the same deal now. You know the grief that your father lived with for all of these years. You know the guilt that you've lived with all of these years. Are you tired of finally living that life? He's put a silver cup in their life to bring them to a place of self-condemnation. Can I tell you tonight... That if you ever get any help, the first thing you'll have to do is just get honest. You're just going to have to get real. You'll have to lay bare all of the excuses. You'll have to deserve, desire truth more than freedom. You'll have to be able to say, I'd rather die than keep living this way. Self-condemnation is secured. Here's the third thing that happens. Self-concern is sacrificed. In verse number 18, Judah begins to speak to Joseph. Donald Gray Barnhouse said it's the greatest speech in the Bible. And I know it's a lot of verses, but I want you to look at your Bible. I want to read this. Judah came near and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear. Let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. And he begins to recount the story. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said unto my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead. He's talking about Joseph there. And he alone, Benjamin, is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servants, bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidest unto thy servants, except your younger, youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass when we came up to thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go again and buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother be with us. Then we would go down. For we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, you know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me and I said, surely he's torn to pieces and I saw him not since. And if you take this also from me, mischief befall him. You should bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now listen to Judah. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, when I go back and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it should come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. 
And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant, me, became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, watch this, let thy servant, me, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go, to my, go up to my father? And the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Judah asked to speak. And very slowly, with pace off and motion in his voice, begins to tell the story. He tells Joseph about his father's love for Benjamin, tells him the reason why. He says, we had another brother. That brother's dead. It broke our father's heart. Our father was very reluctant to let Benjamin go because he was afraid that something would happen to him too. And our father's still grieving over the loss of the first son. And to lose the second son would really kill him. The only thing Judah does not say is that they had killed Joseph. And I don't think it takes anything away from the confession because they knew inwardly that God had found them out. When Judah said, God hath found the iniquity of thy servants. And Judah had offered that they all pay for, this, for their lives with that silver cup. And he's indicating that there's a bigger crime in mind than just a cup. Judah's coming clean. And Judah begs Joseph to take him instead of Benjamin. And he's very explicit. I want you to do that for my father's sake. I can't bear to see the face of my father without Benjamin. I can't bear to break his heart again. I would prefer to just be a slave in Egypt than to see the pain on my father's face like that again. Yes. And, and here is what's so telling. What was the number one issue that the brothers had with Joseph? It was envy. Their father had a favorite son, and they were not it. And now their father has another favorite son, Benjamin, and Judah is not it. And that is no longer important. What is not important is his concern for a birthright. He doesn't say anything about an inheritance, his feelings, his, his position, his family. All of that is gone. Everything that he has schemed for. Everything that he had lied about. Everything that he had lived for for the last 20 years. It is all gone. He knows that he will never be the favored son. He will never be the family patriarch. He'll never get the inheritance and that no longer matters. And he offers himself as a substitute on the behalf of another for his father's sake. I will not be a party to my father's suffering any longer. I'm willing to give up my life to save somebody else's life. I will not allow to happen to Benjamin what I did allow to happen to Joseph. That's why I believe you see true repentance here. Judah doesn't come out and say, we killed Joseph. But given the chance to repeat the sin from the past, he says, no. We sold one brother into slavery before. I, I'm not going to do it again. And you either leave him to a life of slavery or you become a slave yourself. That's the choice he believed he had to make. And Judah says, take me instead of him. It's not remorse, it's not regret, that's repentance. And when he gets to that point, in the very next verse in chapter 45, here's what you hear. I am Joseph. 
And in chapter 45, there is going to be reconciliation. The story has a beautiful ending. You, you know how it ends, but you can't get to that reconciliation. You can't get to that revelation. You can't get to that fellowship. You can't get to that peace and that joy and that sweetness without lying, laying all the lies and the deception at the door. You see, you see, the sorrow of sin is designed to teach us the shame of sin. And when a person sins, there is public shame and there is private shame. And we're real good at hiding the public shame through lies and deception and cover up and all of that. And that's what these mothers have done for 20 years. But there is a private experience of shame that they, even when nobody else knows, you know. That's right. But here's what happens. Then you meet Jesus. You come face to face with Joseph. And there is something, there is something about him that shines light upon the darkness. And these brothers come before Joseph and Joseph never directly confronts them about what they have done. But the light of conviction, it begins to shine upon their hearts and they find that that guilt that they have buried for all of those years, that it is still there. They have spent 20 years of avoiding the public shame, but they've had to wrestle with that private shame. They began to hear the voice of God whispering to them from the back corners of their heart, reminding them of something that they've done all of those years before that has never been taken care of. And each time they come before Joseph, that conviction is going to get just a little bit stronger every time. And they take the grain and they go home. But so does the guilty conscience. And Reuben, he, 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 he deals with it by, by, by doubling down. I, I'll sacrifice my sons. And, 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 but, but, but Judah takes a different route. He doesn't try to prove his own worthiness. He doesn't try to protect his place in the family. No, the very thing that he sold his soul for, he is willing to give it up now. Everything that he's worked for 20 years, it does not matter any longer. And, 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 and Judah knows that Joseph is gone. There's nothing I can do about that. But I'm not going to make ill-gotten gains. I'm not going to, I'm going to make anything off of that sin. I, I, I'm willing to give everything up to be absolved of that guilt for 20 years. Jacob has grieved over the loss of Joseph. And Judah's watched him grieve, knowing that he caused the grief. And self-preservation and all of that lie has caused my father all of that pain. But now he is focused more on his father than he is on himself. Jacob has been paying for Judah's sins without even knowing it. And Judah's private shame says, I can't do this any longer. And Judah shows us the process by which God brings a sinner to Christ. Yes. You hear about the blessing of knowing Christ, but when you draw near, you are confronted with your guilt. And when the sweetness of the gospel is greater than the bitterness of the guilt, that's when a person finally comes to repentance. Yes. We call it conviction. It is the tool that God uses to draw us either in salvation or in fellowship. And God sometimes places a silver cup in your life to probe you, to awaken you. The missing doctrine in our churches is repentance. Because repentance is seen as offensive, it's seen as harsh. But repentance is sweet because what it does is it opens the grace of God to you. It may be tonight that you don't have a past sin to confess, but keep short accounts with God. You can be Reuben or you can be Judah. And when you lay yourself bare before him, that is when a fresh revelation of the Savior will open to you and you will see how sweet 
Der er det, det hedder. Yeah.